MaxScholarsPublishing.com. That uh, we should get our own. Once we have our own, uh, we're respected for the fact that we can create our own. And uh, that's equality right there. Welcome back to the Black Scholars Podcast. Glad to have you guys back. Just want to thank everybody for the support. Um, I'd like to remind those of you um, who've been contacting me on, you know, ways they can participate and be a part of the movement, be a part of the tribe, uh, and the show notes um, for each show, at least the most recent ones. You can definitely support the podcast by becoming a uh, patron at patron.podbean.com forward slash the Black Scholars Podcast. Again, this information will be listed in the show notes. Also, just by sharing the podcast, um, with your friends and colleagues, you know, it doesn't matter if they're black or brown. That is the targeted demographic, but um, we are talking about information. Uh, we're, we're providing information that I believe is useful to all. For this episode, episode 30, I speak with an awesome educator uh, in Orlando, Florida. So let's get to it. This is for you, you, my number one. This is for you, you, my number one. This is for you, you, my number one. So my name is Stephanie Burke. Um, I currently work at a high school. I teach. This is my second year teaching um, and being in a, tra- in a traditional classroom. I teach early childhood education. So I like to tell people I teach big kids how to work with little kids. So essentially, as children go through my program, as my students go through my program, they earn different certifications so that upon graduation, they also have these other certifications if they wanted to work um, in the child care industry, working with children from birth to eight years old. Um, before I did that, I just worked in a lot of behavior modification programs. I've done dropout prevention. Um, I've literally worked with the worst of the worst students on campus. Um, and so 
I, I literally have done it all in schools. Ever since I graduated from college, my very first job was working in an elementary school. And then I went to high school and I've been in high school ever since. So. Dope, dope. Well, again, welcome yeah. to the Black Scholars community. We appreciate it. And um, so is your background in special education? So my background, I actually got my undergraduate degree in um, family, youth and community sciences. So I started out working in nonprofits. So although I've always worked for nonprofits and been stationed at the school. So about three years ago, um, the principal at the school that I was stationed at, and that's when I was doing those dropout prevention programs and things like that, was saying, hey, I think you'd be great in the classroom. Like, I've seen the relationships that you build, and I think you should come to the classroom. Um, And so essentially, that's how I got in the classroom. And then since then, um, it's, you know, the problem with us being real adaptable and being able to work with any group of kids. I've been moved around every year for different subjects, depending on where they needed me. So that's how I ended up in the reason I ended up in early childhood education was because of what my undergraduate degree is in, but I do have my master's in education. Okay, dope, dope. And um, so you've been teaching overall for six years, mm-hmm. and you've been in a traditional classroom setting for about two and a half. Yes. And um, are you? Do you like being in the classroom, traditional classroom environment more, or what's been the biggest change and? pros and cons of of both? I think the biggest change is definitely um, working in behavior modifications. You get to be real creative with how you can get kids along. Um, Working in a traditional classroom, it's the little things like, oh, you forgot to change the date on the board today. I don't. That's not things that are major for me. So that has been a huge adjustment is making sure that those little things are there. Um, And I miss being able to make like those free unhinged relationships with kids versus I have you in my classroom for 50 minutes um, a day. And if you in my first period, I probably don't have you that much because my first period, I have about half my class there every day just because of the type of school I work at. So it's really hard to make some of those relationships that used to come is pretty much second nature before because I was always out and about. Um, And now I'm in the classroom. Like I've had kids who come up to me still uh, this school year because this is my first time being like in a classroom that's pushed to the back of the school. And they're like, oh, my God, Miss Burke, I thought you were gone. I'm like, no, I'm not gone. I've just been moved to the back um, just because of how my classroom is set up. And so not being able to have those consistent relationships with kids like I had before those other four years Mm -hmm. has been uh, probably the hardest transition. And um, with you teaching high school and specifically teaching early childhood education, are you working with what age group? Is it is it seniors, juniors? So I work with all four. I actually okay. teach four different preps. So okay. uh, my ninth graders are in level one, 10th graders, level two, so on and so forth. Um, and as they work through every level of the program, they earn a different certification. So my level ones earn their 40 hour certification, which pretty much if you want to work in any daycare setting, you got to have your 40 hours. So that just basically says I understand how to properly care for a child, change diapers, do things like that. Um, my level twos and threes, 
well, two, three, and four, they retake those tests because the first time they take it is seven sessions. It's about a seven-hour test. It's 45 minutes every session with a 15-minute break in between. So it's a seven-hour test. It's very intense. So majority of them pass about half of those tests their freshman year. And so in two and three, they're working on the second half of that test, as well as working on getting their ECPC, which is their early childhood professional certification, as well as their CDA, which is their um, certified director's credential so that they can actually run a daycare, essentially, if they wanted to. So you do have to be 21 in order to get the director's credential mm. with the CDA that basically says that I understand pretty much everything that I need to understand in order to run my own daycare. So do you have students right now or students you've recently taught in the past who are actively working in a daycare? Yes, I okay. do have a couple students who actively work in daycare. I have two seniors who are working at a daycare, um, and I have some students who graduated last year who are working at a daycare. Um, as the level goes up, we have less and less students, depending on if they choose to dual enroll or if they choose to um, do any of the other um career technical programs. Sometimes they're not able to finish the program with me. Um, but for the ones that have finished, I do have uh, ones who are currently working in a daycare field. Now, how did they get those jobs? Did they just go out and look for them themselves? Or is it does your school or do you personally have a relationship with um, different daycares and different nonprofit organizations in the community that you can refer students to? So we have a lot of daycare. Like I said, I work at a Title I school. So literally in the immediate vicinity of our school is at least probably six to ten daycares that they can walk to. Oh, wow. So for students who are looking for jobs, I do uh, send them to those places. I help them get all of their credentials. So I help them print out their paperwork. Um, I help whatever that facility needs in order to get them hired. I help them through that process. Um, and then also, I'm so sad, but we were supposed to do an event with the uh, local community, well, the local state college, Valencia. Um, they had an event that they had for kids. And I had a group of students who were going out there to volunteer and work in the um, child, because they had an event, but during the event, they were going to have childcare. And so my students, I try to volunteer my students to do different things like that so that they get real world experience. Now, also on my campus, there's a daycare as well. Um, well, we don't call it a daycare. We call it a school. Okay. Um, it's a VPK. It's children three through five. And that classroom is directly connected to my classroom. Okay. So if somebody's throwing a tantrum, we hear it. Okay. If somebody having a bad day, we hear it. Um, and my students, my threes and my fours, my upper level students go over and work with them once a week. So they do lesson oh, wow. planning. Um, they, if a child is angry, we teach them how to calm the child. Um, we teach them how to read and early literacy skills. So we do all of that. So I work very closely with the, um, women who work in the childcare facility, um, setting it up, making sure that all of my juniors and seniors get, um, experience working with the students in the daycare. That's awesome. And um, I've always been a proponent or advocate of um, a co-op program. And it sounds like that's what you guys have going on. Um, I'm located in Memphis, Tennessee. You're in Orlando, right? Florida? Yes. Okay. Yes. And so 
uh, black scholars out there, if we got we got any um, administrators listening, anyone that works for uh, school board, board of education, um, department of education at the state level, um, who might be listening to this, or someone who knows someone uh, pretty closely, I highly recommend at all high schools they need co-op programs. Like it makes a huge difference, and I'm pretty sure you see your students, especially those who are working directly in that industry, uh, even in entry-level positions, they're taking what they learn from you very, very seriously. Like it's a different level of engagement when this could potentially be your profession or could be your business, um, which is even more important because that's always my number one lesson, especially for my black and brown students, is ownership, ownership, ownership. I don't care if you're an employee and you work for someone, you need to have something of your own on the side and you need to be building it up. Which um, brings me to um, a question for you about side hustling. So with all of these skills that you have that you're teaching the kids specifically for that industry and preparing them, I mean, you've got everything you need um, as far as being able to run a child care facility. Have, is that something that you are interested in doing? Maybe even just part time, something on the side that you can just own and let someone else, you know, run the day to day operations while you're uh, teaching? Um, it would definitely be something that um, I would be interested in looking into. Um, I think that I've never it's a place that I've never actually kind of envisioned myself being mm -hmm. just because, like I said, I was so used to working with high school students. So when they initially moved me over there, I was like, I, don't, I have no clue what I'm doing. But over time, a lot of the things that I've learned have definitely opened, kind of opened up my eyes and I would definitely like to do something like that yeah. um, at some point because I mean, I, and I tell my students this all the time. Like you said, that's one of the things that I push to my students. Um, we've started out the beginning of the year and I ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? So like, mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be childcare. I'm not looking for a cookie cutter answer. Mm -hmm. Just tell me what you want to do. Um, and they told me, and I told a lot of them, I, I tell them this story all the time and they think it's hilarious. I got fired from McDonald's when I was in college. And they used to say that I was bougie and I didn't know how to flip burgers. And it's <laughs> the absolute truth. But if I had gotten the credentials that they have the ability to get in high school, right. I wouldn't even have to go through that. I would have loved to work in a child care facility making $10, $11, $12 an hour Fact. versus hopping from like these little places trying to make ends meet as a college student. Um, and so that's definitely like, I tell them that all the time. I don't care if you never want to step foot in a childcare facility and you don't see this as your dream, learn these skills because you never know when they may come in handy. Um, and so that's what I push them to do. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, continue to, you know, continue to encourage them uh, to do that. Cause really, I mean, that is the biggest difference between um, really those who are financially free and those who are struggling working from check to check. And there's nothing wrong from living paycheck to paycheck because as we see now with uh, the coronavirus going on, we have Fortune 500 companies going, living basically from paycheck to paycheck. Like exactly. they, they couldn't make the ends meet. Um, I'm thinking of Neiman Marcus. I just seen them that once the quarantine is over and the pandemic is officially down, they're planning on filing bankruptcy. And it's like Neiman Marcus. You know how long Neiman yeah. Marcus has been around? Like, and that's it's a huge crazy. corporation. Huge. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. And we've already got, um, I want to say, 20 million. Last time I checked, uh, people who have filed for unemployment 
which, yeah. you know, because of the coronavirus, the one thing that people aren't talking about, this is a little bit off topic, but the one thing people aren't talking about with unemployment, um, you could have a part-time job and be furloughed or laid off from that part-time job, um, and you've got a full-time job already, those people count on those unemployment numbers because now they don't have their part-time employment. So... That, gotcha. that, that, See, I didn't even know that. Yeah, that's a part. That's a part of it too, because that's a part of that um, stimulus package. That two trillion dollars mm-hmm. that was passed down is like if you're legitimately working somewhere, you're documented on record on their EIN, and for whatever reason, because of the pandemic, you can't work there. Your hours have been significantly reduced. That's not your fault. So now the state has to. The states have to come in and, um, according to that money that they've given. Uh, they receive from the federal uh, grant, they've been able to disperse that to, to people. So um, for all of my uh, black and brown educators out there who do have side hustles and part-time jobs and you've been laid off or your hours have been reduced or you've been furloughed, you should definitely contact your local state um, unemployment office because I'm pretty sure you should have access to um, that money coming in every week. So something to consider. Yeah. All right. We're going to talk about the coronavirus in just a second, but one other thing about the side hustles, because that's the other thing Mm -hmm. that I always talk about on this show and I always encourage um, for my educators is to own, own, own. So you've got the power of potential coaching going on. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What's going on with that? Okay, so power potential. When I first started my master's degree, I actually started getting it in counseling. Um, and once the principal approached me and I decided to switch over to the school board, I was like, oh, I'll just get a master's in education that way I can continue to build on it. Um, and so I, I completed my master's. I have my master's in education, but, um, I realized that I really, really miss the relationships that I made with people over time. So I started searching for a way to combine the two. Um, and I kind of came up with life coaching, one, because I, I I feel like I naturally do that a lot. And two, because I felt like it was the perfect mix between teaching and being there for somebody to help them through. So not just giving you the information. So now that I've given you the information, how do we get through it? Um, and with first, um, I'm sorry, with power potential, I like to say that I work with first geners. Um, That's what I call them. So those people who are first generation in anything. Um, I'm a first generation college student myself. um, And so I like working with people who have gone through things. So it doesn't have to necessarily be a first generation college student. You could be the first person in your family to ever own a business. Um, You could be the first person in your family to ever have a steady job to where you're making a significant amount of money, but you haven't been taught how to manage it and what to do with it. And so um, I like to tell people what I do is I use a combination of experiences and knowledge that I know. And then I also do research because I think that it's very important to continue to teach yourself as you go through. Um, I'm a lifelong learner. I say that all the time. And so using those and combining those, I try to create products and things for people that will help them get through the process. So I created a planner. I create, uh, like if you say that you want to start a coaching coaching sessions. I meet with you. We talk about what it is that you need. And then I custom build a plan. I customize a plan that helps us to get you to where you need to be from where you currently are. And so they're typically either four, six or eight weeks, depending on what you need to do. Um, And that was my way of 
kind of getting back to working directly with people, helping people and making sure that people have what they need to be successful. That's dope. That's super dope. And how long have you been running that business? You said since you were in grad school? No. Well, so I started actually teaching life skills through a, um, a nonprofit organization okay. called Orlando Neighborhood Improvement Corporation. And I did that for a while. Um, and then it's always slows down. Like it's, I do it a lot over the summers, obviously, when I'm off. Um, and mm-hmm. then it slows down through the year. But I realized that that's what I was missing. Like I was missing the contact that I had with those people, these regular, everyday people who literally just want to improve their lives. So I actually launched Power of Potential this past summer in June. Okay. And how's business been? It's been good. It's good. been good. It, it's definitely helped me. I feel like I have... Uh, I always have a lot to say, right? but a lot of times I don't say it unless people are asking or looking for it. Um, so it's helped me to definitely step outside the box and just be more willing to, to up front and say, hey, you know, what? this is what I really think that you should do that. I don't think that makes sense. This is the more logical way to do it. Um, sometimes, you know, I used to wait for people to ask and now I kind of just offer up that information. Um, and I didn't even know how much it would impact people to do that. Right. Um, just random people in the store or if I'm at an event or something, offering them that information. They're like, oh, wow, that's 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 super dope. How'd you think of that? And, you know, I start talking to them. And that's honestly how I get most of my clients is just because I've, I'm willing to step outside the box now and actually speak. Right. So That's good. And is there a uh, particular book that you have read that you would recommend um, for an educator who might be starting their own business or trying to grow their business? that you've read that's helped you? Um, man, the one thing that, that I would say really has pushed me to kind of step outside the box has been, um, like I read rich dad, poor dad, and that Mm. was big for me. That's a great book. Um, it's classic. Oh, there's another book. I'm trying to think of what it's called. Um, it might be like Poverty and White and Black or something along those lines. I have it. I'm actually in the process of moving, so it's packed in a box right now. I but when I think of it, I'm going to send it to you. When, oh, I, when, I, when I unpack it, I'm going to send it to you because it talked about not even uh, just financially being poor, but the poor mindset. Mm. And I feel like that's that's one of the things that regardless of how much money you have, if you have yep. a poor mindset, yep. you never really going to advance. Facts. And so that was one of the things that had me thinking. And I'm like, oh, wow. Hey, wait, I do that. And I'm like, oh, no, I got to I got to break some of these habits, yep. not even realizing that they were bad habits. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I know a, a older gentleman who his entire life hasn't made more than eleven, twelve dollars. Um, per hour, his entire life. Um, and he works in like cleaning and janitorial services. And because he started early, because he was diligent, because he didn't panic at the sign of, you know, a, a pandemic or um, uh, economic, you know, depression or something going on with the economy, he just always was diligent and saving his money and investing his money and he lived below his means, um, literally is a millionaire. And when I tell people that, they look at me like I'm crazy, like, you're lying. How's that possible? I'm like, we can crunch the numbers because if you take a small percentage very early 
It's, it's compound interest, really. And you just mm-hmm. invest it. And you invest it in financial products that have proven to work over time. So, um, like some of my favorite financial products, SP500. You have a lot of people online, and you've probably seen it too, especially during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. People are trying to pick, and there's nothing wrong with that. But people are trying to pick like specific companies to invest in. So like, oh, Coca-Cola's down $5. Let me, you know, scrounge up everything I can and pour all my money into Coca-Cola. First of all, you're supposed to diversify. And for mm-hmm. me personally, I don't feel comfortable enough buying single stocks. And again, there's nothing wrong with it. You just have to know your risk uh, comfortability. Yeah. But I choose SP500s because you literally own all of the market. So Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to guess and see, like, what's this water I have? I'm not trying to guess and see if Icelandic is about to go up because it's a pandemic. And now people are buying more water because, you know, we can't be going out and about like that. No, I'm not not guessing and trying to figure that out. Just give me the whole market. And I trust, based on history, the the market's record on return of investment, ROI, that I'm going to get my money back. And then it's going to keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. That's that's how you became a millionaire, literally, by investing in like SP 500s, mutual funds, stocks, index funds. And he's a millionaire. And he still works. He doesn't have to work, but he still works. Yep. Making 12 bucks an hour. Something about uh, <laughs> old people, they're not going to stop. They're not. They're going to keep they, going. They won't stop until they're dead. They will not stop. But he loves what he, and, and even more important, I guess the other lesson is he loves what he does. You know, yeah. so it might not be the fanciest. It might not get the most prestige. It might not be the best paid, but he enjoys what he does for a living. Mm-hmm. He wakes up every morning. He's great personality, great spirit. And he's a millionaire. And you'll look at him and say, that guy doesn't have any money. Y'all, y'all better stop judging people by the uh, by their exactly. You stop judging people by the, how they look. You never know. So- learning, distant learning, whatever you want to call it. Google Classroom, MS Teams, Edmodo, Remind One on One, Zoom, Ingenuity, USA Test Prep, Study Island, Kahoot. All of it is unnecessary. I'd rather be back in my classroom than to deal with all this. How do you feel about online learning? How I feel about being ten feet from my bed and I can't get in it. I call it torture. Set up password for the kids. Set up a schedule for the kids. Set up our schedule. Have a virtual team meeting. Why? Y'all just come up with this stuff yesterday. I know half these kids don't got no internet. Almost all these kids don't got laptops. What kind of games y'all playing? If it's not a requirement. Why the teachers required to do everything? That's why I require liquor. District is confused. Kids are confused. Parents are confused. Teachers are confused. One thing we're not confused about is how confused we is. Oh, we got to manage student engagement. These students wasn't engaged in school. The teachers got to report to see if the kids are logged in. The mom ain't never logging in. Or to sit online and wait. This is our virtual learning plan. Uh, this is a major micromanagement plan. Teachers keep a bruise on their neck because the district always got their foot on them. They want us to record our lessons and submit them. Something is fishy. Sound like an observation to me. I'm going to let y'all stress me out. So, Stephanie, with the quarantine going on um, and how your classes, specifically what you're teaching, I'm interested, at the high school level, how is it impacting you? Are you are you and the kids meeting via Zoom or some other type of platform? And are you still lesson planning and assigning homework and grading? Kind of describe that for us. What, what's going on? So, it's super intense. Okay. Um, again, I teach an elective. Um, and so... I have kids that, and I'd like to say that I have a fairly good relationship with most of my students. So my students are kind of like, 
Miss Burke, this person is, is assigning all this work. I think because we're not in the classroom, we have more time. And it's not that I, I don't have more time. Um, so for me, it has been very hard um, because I've always been that teacher that understands where my students come from. So I'm giving less work than I gave in the classroom because I'm not necessarily able to meet with my students like that. And then because of, so I do hold, set, we, we're not allowed to do Zoom. Somebody, one of the teachers got Zoom bombed in the county and someone exposed themselves on camera. Oh, wow. So uh, we're not allowed to use Zoom anymore, but we do use Big Blue Button. Okay. Um, and I went a step further. I made an Instagram for my students mm -hmm. because a lot of them were telling me like, oh, well, I can't get on the computer during this time because my little brother has a computer or my cousin has the computer. Mm -hmm. um, so I made an Instagram and I go live on Instagram and I answer any questions that they have because that way they don't have to be sitting in front of a computer mm -hmm. um, to be able to talk to me. But it it's been tough because... I mean, we're a digital county, so the school gives the kids laptops. But I have kids who, like, oh, since this happened, we went and stayed with my grandma, so I'm in another city. My laptop broke. My mom is going to bring it back here, and then she's going to get it back from the school and bring it back. Like, so it just it becomes a lot. And so for me, my primary goal is just making sure that they feel supported right. um, because I feel like I work with a demographic that, doesn't have a lot of support. So I'm mm -hmm. trying to tell them, hey, I'm still here, but I still need you to do my assignments. Um, and I, I, I give less work because I know that you have to pass math, you have to pass science, you have to right. pass English. Um, and I know that I know what my students gave me in the classroom. And I'm okay with giving them a little bit less because I know what they're capable of and what they gave me in the classroom. <laughs> go close it up sorry no, you're i'm good. also homeschooling my uh kids i have a four-year-old and a five-year-old you're good you're good so yeah Ooh. i'm a single dad oh okay uh, yeah they're with mom though so i'm good <laughs> oh listen so we uh so in addition to being in the process of moving um my husband's working from home he's working upstairs i'm working downstairs and I gave my kids their tablet because they do their work in the morning and I do my work in the afternoon. Gotcha. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's rough. Intense. It's rough. And like you said, and I'm, I'm thankful you said it, you're giving your students less because, you know, you know that they have other classes that, you know, typically would have tests attached to them. But because of the yeah. you know pandemic, I'm sure they waived the tests in Florida. Like pretty much they did everywhere. But, you know, those classes are important to make sure that they pass. So let me ask you this. So for your students in their English and math and other um, classes that otherwise they would have state testing with, are they still receiving grades from those teachers? So they are getting grades. It just won't be attached. So typically how we do it in Florida is their um, whatever grade they get on their end of course exam is 30 percent of their grade for the semester, if that makes sense. Yeah. So they still have to take the EOC. They, they are not taking it. Okay. So they're still getting grades, but it'll just be based on what they do in the classroom. Okay. But what I've been stressing to my students is. Nothing in life is free. Y'all right. don't have to take this test next year, but there's a chance that you're going to have to take it. I mean, this year, but there's a chance that you're going to have to take it next year. There's still a chance that you may have to pass algebra, the algebra EOC, in order to get your diploma. So take this stuff seriously. 
that's what I've been stressing that's, because that, yeah. that's what ends up happening. And that's really good advice. But let me ask you about that. Do you think that students should have to take standardized tests next school year? Especially considering, let me add this, the caveat that we don't know when this is going to end. And that's the thing for me. Yeah. And it's really scary to think that they would have to still pass those tests again, not knowing when this is going to end. And one of the things I was just telling one of my friends, it's hard to tell a student, well, you should know what you learned on the computer in April of last year, in April of next year. Like it's, it's unrealistic. Yeah. But (laughs) I, I definitely don't put it past them. And that's because, and that gets to um, this issue of educational policy. Um, I never paid attention to educational policy as a younger educator, but the older I've gotten, and uh, now I'm in grad school working on um, my admin's licensure, and so I'm a lot more, um, I'd say, aware of Mm -hmm. of what's going on with educational policy. Um, and a lot of those lawmakers, um, and, and I've worked, um, well, I've interned when I was in, in college, um, for a policymaker on the K through 12, uh, educational committee in Tennessee. So I've seen it firsthand, but now that I'm older, now I have a more, uh, more of an appreciation for it, but also more of a concern. A lot mm-hmm. of those lawmakers have never worked in education before. They've never taught. They've never been a principal. They've never been a Title I coordinator. They've never been a guidance counselor. Um, if they are a parent, many of them don't know what's going on in their own kids' exactly. lives, especially when it comes to school, um, because usually they're so busy, you know, that they're not mm-hmm. really in their kids' lives as they should be. And it's disturbing that there is a possibility that this uh, quarantine and the pandemic may extend itself into next school year. And that's the reason why a lot of colleges and universities um, have proactively said there will be no face-to-face classes. Everything will mm-hmm. be online. So new freshmen, welcome. Welcome to your new university. But all of your classes are going to be online at least for the fall semester until we figure everything out. And it's just the best mm-hmm. way to do things. And um I just feel so much compassion for those students and everything that they're dealing with. You know, whether, you know, like your household seems very organized and structured, but that we know that's not the reality for all of our our kids. And a lot of our kids don't have technology, um, which includes, you know, um, a stable Wi-Fi connection um, or Internet access. Um, Computers probably outdated if they do have one, probably need software updates. You know, they got a lot going on and it's just hard to focus because also think about what if someone in their family um, has contracted the coronavirus and, you know, if they're older, typically that's leading to other medical issues that can become fatal. And um, so from my district, and I've shared this in the series and I'll continue to remind everyone, um, I am required to have online hours, three hours a day, Monday through Friday, for my students to reach out to me and parents to reach out to me. I'm not lesson planning anything. Um, I'm not assigning any work. My district has already assigned work. It's optional. Um, 
I don't give grades on it. I don't actually see the work. I can see the work, but I'm not supposed to grade the work. So I don't have kids sending me in anything. And so it's very optional. I teach sixth grade and I teach eighth grade English. And um, I've only had uh, a little bit of communication with my eighth graders. None of my eighth graders are doing the work. I have uh, uh, more sixth graders asking questions than I have eighth graders actually doing the work and asking questions. So, um, you know, we think about summer lag, you know. Yeah. During the summertime, kids miss out. You know, they forget a lot of information skill-wise and content-wise. If this thing does extend, well, actually, summer lag has already started, right? Right. Um, it's already started because they haven't been in an actual physical building. How do, how do you think summer lag, the extended summer lag, is going to affect the kids going into next school year, um, specifically in terms of student achievement? Uh, I think it's going to be horrible. Yeah. I, when they first said, when they first announced that we were out of school one additional week, I said, oh, it's going to be hard to come back. These kids are going to have a hard time coming back. Mm-hmm. And now, in, you know, our governor just announced on Saturday that he went ahead and suspended school for the remainder of the school year. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's, it's just, I love my students to death, but it's, just, it's, it's, it's not going to happen because I don't have that demographic of students, you know, and I, I know what it is. So it's like, but literally kids do my work in my class because they like me, not because they want good grades, but because I walk around the classroom and I stay on them and I say, hey, you been doing this? And I say, hey, what you doing? But in terms of like just waking up in the morning and doing their work because they feel motivated or compelled to do it, that doesn't happen. And so an extra two months on top of, because we've been out since what, May, I mean, I'm sorry, March 14th at this point, mm-hmm. and we may go back to school in August. Maybe. It's, it's a, right. It's going to be, it's, it's, it's going to be hard to catch up. It's going to be very hard to even decide where do I start teaching? Right. You know what I mean? Especially if, if you teach a core subject like English or math, yep. where do I start? Should I start with the things that they should have known right. leaving? March of last year or do I start where I would normally start this year so I think teachers are going to have to put in a lot of legwork especially in the beginning just to get get students back on task and here's the conflict with that teacher burnout is such a real thing yeah it's a very real thing and so if we do have to go back several months of the previous year to teach those standards and those skills and concepts. That's additional work on top of and pressure of increasing the pacing and the learning to catch those kids up to where they should be by, and I'm just assuming if we start school back on, on the date that we normally would, to, to get kids caught up, I guess, by fall break. I don't know if that's possible, especially if testing is involved. Because when exactly. testing is involved, and for those who aren't in education, the tests, unfortunately, mean, I don't want to say everything, but I'm going to say a lot. Almost. They mean a lot. Personnel decisions are made because of 
testing data. Um, classroom assignments are made become a testing data. Uh, hiring and firing decisions are made because of classroom uh, test, or, excuse me, testing data. And um, the future of the kids as far as like what classes and courses they can take. Like just think about it. Like I said, I teach eighth grade and I've been teaching them English, a core subject, a very necessary subject. And literacy is foundational for all classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll admit, and, and I think I have on this podcast before, I've got eighth graders and I work in an affluent public school district. And I've got eighth graders who struggle mm-hmm. just because they're not black or brown. Um, you know, they're white or Asian doesn't mean that they don't need to this time in class, that they don't mm-hmm. need to be working on their skills. And so my district and its pros and cons with that has given these kids the option of doing work, which was not assigned by their teacher, who knows them better than anybody, because I've been working with them all school year. And actually, before, you know, everything happened, we were working on argumentative essays. We're working on argumentative writing, which involves analytical thinking, critical Mm -hmm. thinking, reading comprehension, um, written expression, uh, citing textual evidence. Like there's so much, the ability to synthesize information. Like there's so many complex skills. If we think of uh, Webb's depth of knowledge or we think about Bloom's taxonomy that my kids were doing just simply to put together an argument on paper and it got cut short. And that's not the first time we've worked on that, but every bit of instruction counts. Yeah. Now they're doing nothing. They've been playing Fortnite and, and 2K and, and making TikToks. And, yeah. And so that loss of instructional time is something that, and, and I hate to say this, but I just got to be honest, I don't think the kids will ever recover from. I don't think so either. Unless we dramatically change this K-12 public education paradigm, we've got to change the model. And again, the biggest fear when you make any uh, type of systemic uh, change or even small stuff um, during like PLCs, any small stuff, administrators, school leaders, community leaders, and policymakers, they've got to always consider what is the extra workload that's about yeah. to get put on these educators because we're, we're the front line. We determine student achievement. We really do. Mm-hmm. And... Is that going to lead to teacher burnout? Is there going to be an influx of, is there going to be a mass exodus? The other thing I've thought about too, and feel free to chime in because I'm just making, we're just having a conversation. I'm not even really asking questions. Um, What if you don't like your school? Like, what if you don't like your school district you work for? What if this is your, and I'm actually, this is my first year at my new school district. The previous school district I was at, I was there for five years, had a lot of success, but it was a smaller school district. Now Mm -hmm. I'm in a bigger school district with more money, more, more dollars per student. My paycheck is higher, but let's just say hypothetically, what if I was unhappy? What if I wanted to go to a different school district? I mean, I guess it's still possible. What's your take on that? Like, do you think educators are going to be like hesitant? Like, 
I'm just glad I'm getting a check right now. Let me not make a move because I don't know how long this is going to last and what's going to happen. Or do you think like educators are still going to be proactively like still looking for other opportunities? I honestly think it depends on how unhappy you are, where you mm, are. That's a good point. Yeah. Because just to be transparent, I started this year, uh-huh. this school year, um, because they, they moved me this year. And this is my first year teaching early childhood education. And when they put me there, I was like, oh, okay, where's the manual? Oh, there isn't any. Well, what standards am I supposed to teach? I don't know. What? So what y'all want me to do? Right. I, don't, I don't understand. No standards, and no so curriculum? It's like, yeah, it, there was nothing. And then I got in into the classroom. And for whatever reason, when they cleaned the classroom, they just left everything discombobulated. I didn't know what I was walking into. And the first first week of pre-planning, I came home and I told my husband, I'm going to find another job. I can't do this. Yeah. He was like, what, what you mean? And I was like, I, I don't want to do it. He was like, but you love being there. And I was like, nope, not no more. I used to love being there. They they just do whatever they want to do with me. I've been mistreated. I've been abused. They've taken me for granted. I'm leaving. Yeah. Um, but it's something about building the relationship. Like the, the relationships that I have with the kids on campus is honestly what's kept me there. Mm-hmm. Um, I like building relationships a lot more than I like the conventional box that is teaching. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, you need to do this standard this week and that standard this mm-hmm. week. And it, it just doesn't, it's never really worked too well for me. It's boring. Um, Let me be honest. It's boring. It's, exactly. It's boring. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, I, have a, I have a very unorthodox teaching style, uh, you know. I, I just throw you that got, out there. You have to. You have to. In That's order the to only way I've been able to one, still love it. One, yourself entertained. Yeah. And then two, make sure that the students are getting what they need. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, but I, I can see, especially, and, and I think that has been another hard part about this transition for me. I make myself dynamic in the classroom. I you make up stuff. I, I make my kids listen to nursery rhymes in the middle of class. And we analyze nursery rhymes because it's a part of what, what you should be able to do mm-hmm. as a teacher. And now I give them like, here, do this assignment, look this up, do that. And I know they don't like it. And I know that's why they're not doing it. But there's literally, there's not a, not a lot to do. So I think a, a big part of, whether teachers exit or not will definitely be a cost to benefit analysis. Yeah. So can I make more money if I if I do go sit behind a desk and, and file these papers or right. whatever the case may be? And can I continue to do this online? Yeah. Especially if you don't go back into the classroom. Yeah. So this summer is gonna be interesting. This summer is messed up well. This summer is going to be interesting. I definitely agree. But this pandemic has messed up a lot. <laughs> like, I'm just being yeah. honest. This pandemic yeah. has messed up a lot, personally and professionally. Um, my admins program is supposed to end this summer. And uh, I'm supposed to take the, you know, administrator's test and everything like that. Yeah. Um, also, I'm supposed to earn, like, a certain number of hours working with, like, a principal or assistant yeah. principal. I can't do any of that mm-hmm. this summer. So I am actually thinking of delaying um, my own graduation until next summer simply because I don't know what's going to happen. My university doesn't know what's going to happen. They're trying to be proactive as possible. Um, I actually had my um, department head recommend me for 
a school leadership position at a charter school. And um, I'll be honest with you, I looked up the information. I looked up the description of the opportunity. Um, the pay looks great. I'm not comfortable making any career moves right now. Exactly. Because of that. The only thing I've been comfortable doing is pouring into my business and, you know, creating content and, you know, creating strategies and starting to grow my business. That's the only thing I've been comfortable with. But as far as my career, career, education, um, yeah, I'm not comfortable doing anything. I said the same thing. <laughs> it just wouldn't even make sense to move right now. Yeah, I can't. Because like, we don't know what's going like, to happen. What's the interview process? We hop on Zoom or Skype and exactly. I put on my suit and I sit down in my kitchen and like, I right. I don't want to do that. And right. I do know some people, I've got some friends that um, not in education that are doing that. And I always thought that was strange, but you know, some people are very comfortable in a state of chaos. And usually right. I'm that, usually that's me. I'm that way. Um, but I'll say for this uh, pandemic, I am not. Right now, my main focus is stability. I'm not trying to change too much. Um, yeah. But I, I am making some pivots. But as, as far as career-wise, yeah, I'm not interested in doing anything. But um, I, I might throw that out as a poll. Because I'd love to see, like, how's the pandemic affected your career transitions? Um yeah. But and we, I would definitely say for me personally, uh-huh. I I wouldn't, even if I I were still thinking about going, I wouldn't just because like you said, there's just, I need stability. Yeah. And like I said, I'm, I'm getting ready to move. We just purchased a house. Right. So Congrats. I, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not willing to. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so nah. that, that leads me to my next question. So, and, and maybe you can speak about this. You kind of already did, but has the pandemic directly impacted your career trajectory? At least if it's just um, maybe like an internal conversation you've been having or maybe a conversation with your, your husband uh, and loved ones, but like, how's it affected you? It has because for me, one of the things that I have said is I'm not sure that I'm ready to drop the relationships that I have with kids, but I am yeah. ready to kind of learn more and do more. Yeah. Um, so I want to get back out of the classroom and, and get more into an admin. I, I honestly want to be a safe coordinator. Okay. Um, I don't know if you guys have that, but the safe coordinators, they work on the mental health aspect of students at campus. So okay. um, your grades are falling. Let me reach out to the student and see, hey, what's going on at home? Because I noticed that you had our A's and B's and now you have C's and D's. Um, things along that line. That's honestly what I want to be. But again, I don't even know that there's going to be movement on campus. Right. I mean... You can't move somebody into a different position, and especially a position like that, and we're not on campus. Right. So that was that was definitely one of the things that I wanted to move into and one of the things that I wanted to do. And that's not an option right now. So it has affected me career-wise as well. Yeah, I'll almost say um, everything has to be moved a year. If that makes mm-hmm. sense, like everything. Oh, you guys are going to do state testing next year? Nope. Mm-mm. Move it. Now, I'm not saying don't have any testing because I do feel like there should be um, uh, some type of accountability. But mm-hmm. and it's good to gauge and see what students have learned next school year. But I don't think it should hurt anyone. You know, like it shouldn't I- count against anyone. 
Exactly. And it reminds me, so it had to be probably 2014 or 2015. They changed standardized testing here. Mm -hmm. So we went from having the FCAT to having the FSA. And that first year, the kids took the test, but it was kind of like a gauge to see okay, is this test harder? Is it easier? Does it make sense? Are the kids understanding? The, that same year was also the year that they went from taking the test on paper to taking it online. And I feel like that's kind of should be what they do this next school year. Mm-hmm. They should take the test, like you said, because there has to be some kind of accountability and they have to know, even if you don't tell them that this has nothing to do with whether you pass or fail, mm-hmm. um, it should not have anything to do with whether they pass or fail because it's not fair to hold them accountable for teaching themselves essentially, because that's what this is. And kids K through 12, I will say a majority of them, I'd say probably 98% of kids K through 12 do not know how to independently study. Exactly. And it might even be higher than that. Probably. They, They don't know how to independently study. And again, so I also work at uh, Valencia College Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I teach just the freshman new student experience there. So it's the incoming freshman class. And that is not like most of my students are not like they didn't graduate last school year and they just started their first semester. They've been out of school for a couple years. Some of them are changing careers. But my even the level of um, cooperation and the level of like logging in, responding to emails, all of that dropped once this happened. And I even had students reach out to me and say, I'm sorry, I just, I literally got depressed when we started social distancing. And I was thinking, um, I was talking to, to one of my coworkers the other day and I'm like, if college kids are going through that, yep. we've taught them that they, they, understand a little better how to express themselves than our middle school, high school, elementary school level kids, our K through 12 kids. They don't understand that. So a lot of them are feeling things that they don't even understand that they're feeling or why they're feeling it. And a part of it is because you're so used to being social and you see your friends every day and y'all laugh and y'all joke and y'all eat lunch together. And now you are stuck within the confines of your house every single day for what, four or five weeks now? Yeah. That's intense. Yeah, even some of those college students, because I I was a non-traditional college student because co-op program in high school was banking, and so I stayed in banking for about five years, and I kept getting moved mm-hmm. up, moved up, moved up, so I wasn't taking school really seriously until I moved to Tennessee, uh, went to Tennessee State University. That's when I started taking things seriously, but even then, I worked full-time while going to mm-hmm. school full-time. So even just the friendships that you make working at your job, you know, with your coworkers and eating lunch together and talking and joking and sharing music together and stuff like that. Like you don't have the opportunity to do that, especially if you work in one of those industries that has been um, shut down. You know, think about it. A lot of a lot of college students work in retail. Retail essentially has been shut down unless you work at like a grocery store or, you know, something like that. Like it's kind of just been shut down. So they might even be impacted um, financially, you know, not just the social aspect, but financially. And that's the biggest lead of depression. If your money's not right and, you know, you got bills going on and, 
you know, yep. your, your family can only help but so much um, yep. unless you come from, you know, one of those special affluent families. But uh, many of us cannot relate. So, exactly. so let me, last question I'll ask you. Um, what do you think the potential long-term effects? I know we spoke about um, how it's affected our careers and how it might affect student achievement, but what are the potential long-term effects? So five, 10 years from now, when we think about K through 12 education and even education as a profession, how's this, how's this potentially gonna change everything? I, I honestly think that there has to be, like there's no reason why there's never been a plan in place. For, for something like we've never nobody ever thought that this would ever happen. So we've never planned for it. And I feel like even just rolling it out was real sketchy. Um, the first day of online learning. So like I live in Seminole County, but I work in Orange County. So my, my kids go to Seminole County public schools, mm -hmm. Seminole County, Orange County, like both of the systems crashed. The Internet wasn't working. The, it was just like, we claim to be so advanced and we got it all figured out and we know all the answers, yeah. but we couldn't even all log on to do our work. Yeah. And, and it was it was just like, I think that it, it definitely will encourage people to kind of have those backup plans in place. But long term, I, I think it's going to take a lot of people a long time and a lot of industries a long time to recover from this. And, and it's unfortunate, but yeah. we didn't have a plan. And with 20 million people um, potentially unemployed or underemployed, um, yep. I don't care what anyone says. This is a depression. Exactly. And so, you know, I'm in Orlando, so we have the theme parks. We have three major theme mm -hmm. parks. Yeah. Combined, I think it's over, it's about 100,000 employees that were furloughed this week. And one of the things that I wasn't aware of until this happened is if you are international mm -hmm. and like say you're here on a work visa or mm -hmm. you're here on an education visa, mm -hmm. they send you back if something like this happens. So I have students who are in the, the my college class that I teach mm -hmm. who are emailing me at these crazy hours and I'm like, Hey, things aren't usually like this. Is everything okay? I'm just reaching out. Yeah. I've, I've been sent back to Venezuela because when the pandemic happened, they said, since we weren't physically in school, we had to go back home. Mind you, they don't pay it all their tuition, all their fees, yeah, everything, because they're not allowed to, to, their account isn't allowed to have a balance on it. And they sent them back to their country where they don't have internet. And now she's having a hard time completing my class because her internet won't stay connected. And will she get the opportunity to come back or will there, or will there be other uh, governmental legislation that's going to prevent that from occurring? Exactly. And that's one of the things that they don't even know. So I've given the school thousands of dollars right. to start an education or, or you know, and because of, and it's not the school's fault, so I don't blame them, but just because of legislation that currently exists, I have to be sent back. Now, what if our president says, I'm closing the borders and nobody can come in? For the next year. For the next, exactly. That could significantly now impact Now I'm stuck with credits life. that don't even transfer or right. translate to my country. And my life's on and hold. And so now I'm just, yep. yeah. 
And it's crazy to think that that's, but that's, that's our reality. It's scary. Scary yeah. times. Scary times. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say. Um, I'm just as confused as everyone. I read. Yeah. I keep everything sanitized. I wash my hands. I'm, eat, I'm eating healthy. I'm working out. Um, I'm doing things I love to do. Um, I don't really get uh, pessimistic about things. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to say I'm overly optimistic, but I'm I'm still scared. Like I, I won't hide yeah. that emotion. I'm still scared. Yeah. But um, you know, I'm faith based, so I, I keep a lot of faith, and I just I'm in control of what I'm. I'm in control of anything else exactly. is like, you know, I can't necessarily worry about that um, until I cross that bridge. And I'm just literally, uh, I learned this from my dad. I just take everything a day at a time. So that's going to mm-hmm. be my advice for everyone um, listening to this series. And um, yeah. Anything you want to Another tell Another thing I'll say too is don't overload. Don't let the news overload you. Please don't. My, my mom is a world news fanatic. She'll call me and be like, I heard on world news. I'm like, no, ma'am, yeah. not today. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, I even have can't, to. Like you said, you can't, you cannot stress over the things that you can't control. Nope. Doesn't it, it's not even worth it. Just do the best that you can with what you have at this point. Yep. I'm even limiting my social media intake, you know, just regular, yeah. regular interactions. Like I'm, I'm grateful that I've been able to form so many friendships and bonds and form so many new acquaintances, um, through the podcast and, um, just through social media. I mean, what, what was it? Uh, was it Saturday night? Did you watch the, um, oh, the uh, Teddy Riley and, uh, yeah. uh Babyface? Like that was hilarious. <laughs> was the funniest thing I've especially seen in a long on time. Twitter. Especially yes. on Twitter. That was hilarious. I literally laughed myself to sleep Saturday night. Exactly. I laughed myself. So I'm appreciative. After the, the third, let's start over. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. And baby face okay. his face. His face. Oh, this is so funny. What can I say? Mamba out. Thank you for listening to the Black Scholars Podcast. For more information, Sometimes go to blackscholarspublishing.com. You just gotta go. You will never know what you could ever be. If you never try, you will never see. Stayed in Africa, we ain't never leave. So it was no slaves in our history. One no slave ships, one no misery. Call me crazy, or isn't he? See, I fell asleep and I had a dream. It was hard.